Good morning. This is, uh, I've never wondered more what the appropriate uh, thing to say would be in my life, I don't think. Um, give me a minute. You know, I, I kind of didn't, I don't like preparing. Because if I, if I wrote a talk yesterday or made bullet points or something, then I'd be giving you yesterday's talk, you know? Um, and uh, what's today's talk? So I was here as you saw. Um, three years ago, and uh, priest-wise, there's four of us at that time, um, and we had all known each other at that point for about ten years. Now we've known each other for about thirteen years. The three of us, um, the four of us, yeah. uh, me, Graham, Mako, Kosha. And um, and uh, and now and now for now, there's just there y'all just have me. Um, so uh, so uh, Kosho and Mako are away for a, a few months. Um, and uh, I know it's really, um, it's really annoying when you might be having a hard time uh, that someone tells you everything's okay. You know, it's really kind of a rude thing to say. And uh, it's actually okay. It's actually okay. It's actually um, quite perfect. Um, and everybody's actually going through what they need to go through. Um, and we're going through what we need to go through. I'm certainly going through what I needed to go through. I couldn't have designed a more spectacular rite of passage for myself <laughs> than thinking I was going to be, you know, kind of being, you know, summer abbot. Um, um, uh, and I think it's a time uh, that could be really, really empowering to the community actually, uh, and I want to get into that a little bit. First, I want to talk about um, what a priest is and what a priest isn't. Um, and then I want to talk about what that means for us. Um, first of all, a priest is a terrible word for what we are. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a Christian word, um, or a I don't know, a word that we, we kind of put onto something that is not quite accurate. So going back historically, although there's although I don't have any papers, I miss the lectern. It helps me feel <laughs> contained. <laughs> I feel like I'm like spilling onto Robin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, in India. You know, we tend to think of the pre-Buddhist period as like a Hindu period. Or we tend to think of the culture... Oh, by the way, I want to apologize to the people in the back for the incense that I'm using. <laughs> um, it, it, it puts me in a really good mood, but it kind of smells like laundry detergent. Um, and, it, and, it's, and it might make you feel like you should be in your dorm room, like listening to Pink Floyd or something like that. <laughs> Um, which you, you probably should be in your dorm room listening to this. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there was a lot more culture clashing in the Indian subcontinent than we realized when we think about 2,500 years ago. 
And Buddha was from a much more uh, indigenous ethnic group than the people that were coming over from Persia with the Vedic culture. You know, the Brahmin priest caste system and all that, the Aryans. You know, the light-skinned Aryans coming from the West. And, um, and uh, uh, changing and subjugating the, the, the cultures that were already there, one of which Buddha was part of. You know? So Buddha was uh, uh, existing at a time where uh, the culture was changing and, and, there, and India, the subcontinent was kind of becoming occupied by Aryans that were kind of sweeping through, you know? Now, a hallmark of the culture that existed before that kind of invasion from the West um, was uh, yogic culture. So there's these coins with people sitting like this from Harappa, which is in the Indus Valley, that's, that are about 5,000 years old. Yeah. Um, so this is... Ancient, it would have been ancient to Buddha, it's a, it was as far away from Buddha as we are from Buddha, like that long ago. It had already had its own full two millennium lifespan before Buddha was even born of this um, uh, indigenous Indus Valley uh, yogic culture. And, and, uh, and Vedic culture and what we now call like Hindu culture actually didn't have anything to do with that much, you know? If you look at the Vedas, they're mostly um, ceremony manuals, um, uh, uh, rites for purification and, and devotion and stuff like that. Um, and so that clashed with Buddhist culture. Uh, and, um, and Buddha was very, very, very critical of the whole priest system and the Brahmins and stuff like that. And actually, the word that Buddha used for uh, mental habits this word samskaras, it means mental formation, habitual mental formation. That was the word that the Brahmin priests used for the ceremonies that they did. It was a jab. Buddha was very subversive, actually. And if you read some of Stephen Bastard's books, or read from John Peacock, listen to talks by uh, Oxford professor John Peacock, you, and uh, Richard Gombrich from Oxford. Um, uh, they are Sanskrit scholars, or Pali scholars, and they analyze the way Buddha was uh, very cheeky in his reappropriating of um, a Vedic culture into something that he felt was much more accurate. Even, you know, we might, you might have heard of this term Brahma Vihara. means dwelling with God, you know? Um, the idea is that if you, you know, went and you paid your priest and you did these ceremonies, you'll be able to eventually someday dwell with God. And Buddha said, well, if you want to dwell with God, using the same language, said, practice equanimity, compassion, friendliness, and sympathetic joy. And then you can dwell with Brahma. You know? So that's a little bit of this like Gospel of Thomas, like the kingdom of God is within you kind of stuff at a time where that is not what people were talking about. Yeah. So he's, he, was, he was very critical of this priest class thing. Um, it wasn't his intention. The word, if you trace back this whole situation long enough, the actual word for it translates to beggar. You know, before we had Oshos and Roshis and Senseis and, and Reverends and Priests and all that, there was just the word Bhikkhu, which means beggar, or Bhikkhuni, which means lady beggar. You know? They only let men and women in, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> and it was an ancient system of like, this culture is not sane. I'm absenting myself from it and devoting myself to something else. You know? So when we think about that, that can sound very, very pious. Like, what an amazing person to have their finger on the pulse of, like, reality, that they want to absent themselves from this culture and devote themselves to something higher or something like that. But in my experience of knowing various yogis and people that want to absent themselves from the culture and devote themselves to something higher it can come from a really fucked up place. You know, there's a pathology there. You know, my friend uh, Ashley um, is getting into, uh, she's a therapist, but she's getting into Vedic astrology and she did, my, she did my reading the other day. Well, I mean, very, she like, you know, texted me what I am. Um, <laughs> but I'm, uh, what's one that starts with a K? Ketu. I'm Ketu in the first house and... 
What's the one that starts with that R? Rahu in the seventh house. Anyway, so I'll tell you. But Keto in the first house means the very, very self-isolating. Very want to do everything on your own. Kind of like this loner thing. And very not interested in whatever anyone else is not, is, whatever anyone else is interested in. Like the other day I was on um, South Congress and I saw that Hop Dotty hamburger place and I see that line of people and I'm like, dummies. You know, like, whatever everybody else loves, I don't love. If it's popular, not interested. And that's basically all it takes. I don't, care, I don't know if it's good or bad. It could be the best hamburger in the world, you know? Um, or Amy's. Everybody's standing outside of Amy's. I'm like, yeah, ice cream at the store, you guys. Like, it's okay, you know? Um, anyway. And, like, and I loved, I think Chongo's is, like, the best tacos on this block, and nobody's ever in there. Yeah, everybody goes to Torchies who has store-bought tortillas. Chongos makes their own tortillas. Go to Chongos. Anyway. Um, what the hell was I talking about? Priests. Okay. Your reading. My reading. So it's like, so I could give myself a big pat on the back for seeing through society and like not, you know, wanting to develop it. But it's like, actually, I was just born this way. You know, I was just born this way. I'm like, and, and, it has its, and it has its merit and it has its difficulties. It has its shadow side. You know what it's like to long for connection and insist on being alone all the time? <laughs> you know? If you're in here, you might. You know, we find each other. Um, so uh, this uh, kind of um, religious idealization of things where we kind of, you know, leave our... We leave our um, well-rounded uh, understanding of like the the dark and the light uh, outside the door, and just think everything should um, be rosy and smell like laundry detergent. You know, um, it's problematic. And as much as we rail against it, there's a strong amount of spiritual bypassing that, that that's done in um, practice communities and in monasteries for sure we're supposed to be meeting all of our stuff but we do have an ideal in certain in certain aspects of ourselves uh, we deem unacceptable you know and uh, so they get uh, very unresolved and they go into the shadow and if you think uh, imagine how easy it is to um, deem parts of yourself unacceptable when you're when you're like marked as as like some kind of example, you know, when you've been bopped on the head and you're like a living theoretically some kind of living embodiment custodian of some holy tradition, and it's like so. There's a lot of you can start to think like all these very human things that are rising in me are just like not allowed, cannot happen. And what and what and what do, what what do I get to do with them? I just have to. Get rid of them, right? Somehow. Get rid of them somehow. Um, And I think um, Zen Buddhism is very interesting. I talked about this a little bit last week, in that it's a very, very liberal system, kind of grafted onto a very patriarchal and conservative system. The Zen part is very radical, and the Buddhism part is a bit stiff. You know... To us, Buddhism is pretty radical. You know, we're right, we're right in the yellow pages right next to New Age or in, in, the, in the bookstore. You know, the astrology and the Buddhism are in the same corner of the store, right? Um, so we think we're pretty kind of like out there. But um, in, in Southeast Asia, that's the orthodoxy. That's, that's you know, all the people that are uh, uh, conservative are Buddhists. You know, it's not... It's not you know, because Buddha died, and then all the boys started telling everybody what to do, you know, as they do. Um, so, uh, and then over time, so, uh, so all these people wanted to devote themselves to the holy life in Buddha's time. And then he realized that they started uh, having problematic behaviors, you know, because the kind of person that wants to throw their life away might not have been doing so well anyway, <laughs> you know? Um, um, 
you know, I have some friends that I'm really envious of. They don't know that there's any music other than top 40 popular music. You know, they got Star Spangled tank tops and like just uh, and and feel very positive about their lives, even though they have like you know they drive forklifts or what. You know, like I'm from a small rural town in in California, Central California, and um, I have all these friends I went to high school with. They're like actually doing a lot better than I am happiness wise and no clue like like to me it's like oh my god they they don't even know that you know whatever and and uh and they're probably like well Ricky's making his life a lot harder for himself than he needs to with all this <laughs> sitting still nonsense you know and those are the kinds of people that are not becoming psychotherapists you know those are the kinds of people that are not becoming free so your leadership are wounded you know, that's important to remember. Now, there's, a, there's an aspect of that that gives them certain faculties. You know, the plus side of me feeling really alienated and not being able to fit in and not, not really not wanting a job, not being able to hold a job, you know, being a little bit too syrupy for existence, um, <laughs> is that I got to develop a life where I basically meditated for my 20s. You know, by the time I was 28, I had said like 30 session or something like that, you know. So that gives you um, a deep steep, you know. So you're born with a certain orientation. You know, you try to do normal. You can't do normal. And then you end up in this lifestyle that gives you a real deep steep in, uh, you know, communing with the other realm, so to speak, you know. Um, uh, communing with the big picture, you know? in a way that is not really available unless you, unless you are enough of a fuck-up to not have a nice life. You know? Other children? I'm sorry that I'm cussing. I cuss. I cuss. I cuss. But you're stuck with me. Um, what? Um, and... Um, So there's there's certain there's certain gifts, you know, uh, uh, but then um, and then uh, having left, you know, so I spent all my twenties in a monastery, more or less, in community, sixty, seventy people around. We're all doing the same thing. I'm not the host, you know. Being a priest in a monastery is very different than being a priest in a place like this, because uh, in the monastery we're all patients, you know. And here I'm, it's kind of like host and example, you know which carries a certain, another kind of isolation to it. It's like, I'm actually tethered to a community that I, that I actually don't really get to be part of. If that makes any sense. I don't get to be part of it the way you all get to be part of it. You know? Um, and I've been here two weeks, and I, I'm starting to feel stir-crazy a little bit. It's very isolating. And, and I'm starting to notice that, like, I'm like, I'm like running out of money, but I still go out to eat because in a way that's social, even though I don't even talk to anyone except for the person taking my order, you know? Um, because eating at home just anchors in that I'm alone. And then sometimes people respond to that, but being, being kind of like a minor celebrity with something to offer, then when people want to do stuff with you, you have a little bit of self-protection around it, if that makes any sense. And you want to maintain... Um, uh, I need to have a really clean relationship with you for when you need me. You know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so then they made all these rules in, in 2,500 years ago. You know? And if you read them, I like they're, they're ridiculous because each rule is something that someone did. You know, so if you read, it's like, here's what the monks did 2,500 years ago. Um, and, uh, and then in uh, 1000 AD in Japan, can, can someone put out the incense? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just flip it. It's, it's ridiculous. I'm sorry. I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was going to make me pe pe put some pep in our step, but... Okay. Um, thank you. Sorry. Um, then there's a, folk, uh, a bloke named Saicho. 
in Japan. He was the founder of the Tendai sect in Japan. Tendai is a synthesis of esoteric and exoteric Buddhism. It's um, Mount Hiei. Uh, the head monastery is on Mount Hiei, which is right outside of Kyoto. And that's where Dogen ordained 300 years after this. But Saicho set up shop there. I think it was about 1,000 AD. It might have been 800, but I think it was 1,000. Um, and his big thing was like, all of these rules, um, they... Um, undermine our attention to the particularity of the contingency of situations, if that makes any sense. So it becomes, you did that, you can't do that, you're out, or something like that, you know? Um, rather, rather than like uh, understanding the, the, all, the, all the co-created circumstances that made something happen in such a way, you know? So Saicho's like, if we really believe in our practice, and if we really believe in like having our eyes open, and the inherent goodness of, of, of us as people, who really believe in Buddha nature, let's, um, let's, let's bring it down to the ten precepts and just pay attention, you know, and respond to circumstances as they arise. You know, and uh, he pushed for that. He petitioned the Japanese government in Nara because they had, they decided, they had control of the ordination platforms. They were still doing everything based on the 250 rules. And so it's just like, let's bring it down to ten. You know, and that, and like, and like, uh, and just meet our lives as they arise instead of uh, paint by numbers. You know, uh, and that became what the ordination is in Japan, and uh, right after he died, actually. So that's our inheritance. This kind of a little bit less detail. You know, um, so that you can respond to your life situation as it is. Um. And then there were the, uh, after, during the Meiji period, when they opened the borders, there was, um, so this is like 1870s, there were um, Protestant missionaries coming into Japan. And they changed the religious, uh, what's the word, climate, you know? And, and so uh, Buddhist priests started mimicking Protestant priests to kind of keep up. You know, so it became more like a minister role. Um, and then, so you have that model, and then you bring that here. Well, we understand priests to be something similar to that, this kind of minister role. Um, but I see us as uh, initiates into a yogic method. And I feel like that was the original intention, initiates into a yogic method. Um, and custodians of the particularities of the tradition so that the tradition has a container to move through space and time in. You know? So we know how to do things the certain ways. You know? um, but uh, do we have it all figured out? Have we resolved any of our, all of our issues? Is the shadow not present? Do we not get isolated? Do we not get antsy? Do we not spend our last dollar on like, going out to tacos because like, it's nice just being somewhere where there's people? that don't need me, you know? Um, like, that, that's a reality. That's a reality, you know? And, like, what does it mean for us? You know, there's a story... You know, the Dharma transmission ceremony is very private. There's all these little secret things that happen, and it happens at midnight in a room that has red curtains around it and stuff. It's very esoteric. Um, but you hear little stories about things that happen in Dharma transmission ceremonies through the grapevine. And uh, apparently when Mel Weitzman... So, the, and I, I wonder if, you know, sometimes stuff's made up, too. You don't know if any of it's true. Um, so, but apparently once Mel Weitzman was putting a okesa, helping to put an okesa, or doing something, or shaving a head, some kind of thing, where he's close to the person he's giving Dharma transmission to. And he said, uh, in other traditions, they have living saints. In our tradition, we have fuck-ups. <laughs> and I find that very encouraging and I feel like there's a lot to learn there's a lot I've never I've never learned anything by doing well and I've never and I learn things from people that aren't doing well actually there's a lot to learn from people that aren't doing well you know um, the humanity of your teacher 
uh, can be an, uh, uh, something they have to come to terms with and, 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 and actually uh, gives your practice back to you. And I think that's the important thing. It's like, who's, who owns your practice? Who does your practice belong to? Does it belong to this room? Does it belong to that cushion? Does it belong to an organization? Does it belong to your teacher? You know? Or is it in your bones? Is it something that you're going to do regardless of the circumstances? Because you're a wayfarer. You know? So, um, I understand feeling kind of disoriented and kind of like, what's going on? I used to go to practice discussion all the time. This person's gone and I hope they're okay and what's happening, you know? Um... And it's actually all okay. It's actually really, really all okay. Everybody's in an okay place, I think, even if they don't know it. And I know it's rude to say, but I think it's working out. Um, everybody's going through what they have to go through. Um, and, uh, um, but what is your practice now? What is your practice now? And are you going to do it? You know, are you going to show up for yourself? Are you going to be, do you have your own energy source from your own side to engage with seeing reality? And are you, uh, and are you having, a, are you fragmenting yourself? It's like, well, that's, that reality is not okay. Yeah. But we need to, all of this happened and all of this is happening, you know? I'm like, here we are. This is it. This is actually it. This is actually it. Yeah. Even this is harmony. Even this way you feel is harmony. It's total dynamic functioning of all of, of, of everything. Yeah. Um, I feel satisfied with that part. Does anybody have any questions or comments? Or yeah. So um, the student-teacher relationship is mm -hmm. so you know intimate. There's a lot of mm -hmm. you know, a lot of share things that the students shares with the teacher yeah. and works through. Um, so I can kind of see this intimacy that's built, mm -hmm. and even a friendliness that occurs, yeah. and, and the love in a way. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering what your specific uh, take or, you know, what's your opinion about friendship with student-teacher or, like, what's your kind of philosophy on the borders or boundaries that mm -hmm. need to be there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's so tempting to want to epitomize things. Like saying, like, well, when you do this, then, you know, as if uh, that thing exists in a vacuum and has an inherent positive or negative value. Um, and I actually can't do that. You know? And I think it's very circumstantial. You know? um, um, Maybe well, like how do you approach it yourself? With students? I don't have any students. Oh. Yeah. Well, you will. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> what? Uh, my view on, 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 on student-teacher boundaries and like what, you know. The last Oh, the last one? Oh, how do, I, how do I engage with my students? And I said I don't have students. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, you know what I will say though. Um, ideals as ideals, you know, an ideal by definition is something that is false. Like if it's an ideal, it's not something true. Um, because it's not what's happening. Otherwise, you wouldn't call it an ideal. You'd call it what's happening. You know? Um, uh, if ideals were um, steering the trajectory of my life more so than my attentiveness and care of what's happening, 
then I feel like that's a kind of uh, uh, problematic. Um, and in our um, wanting everything to go well, we rely on ideals more because we, we don't, might not trust ourselves. You know? um, and maybe with good reason we don't trust ourselves. So if you know you're not trustworthy, then maybe invest more in ideals. You know, but if you're, but it, um, uh, I do think, um, no, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I really want to muster something up that's like, and have these kind of, this caveat and like, well, you know, here's, 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 here's the glib answer that you can't argue with. And I got nothing. I got nothing. Um, but I think um, our task is to um, figure out how to let people figure out what's appropriate rather than um, um, clutching to something that we prefer for someone else's life. If that makes any sense. Yes? I just want to thank Melissa for her question can't hear questions for our whole community. Yeah, yeah. Um, Barbara said she wanted to thank Melissa for the question because it's a big question for the whole community. Yes. Oh, uh, let's go there. Yeah, yeah you. I have a comment and a question. Yeah. You made a statement about how when the Christian missionaries came and changed the flavor of Buddhism. I lived for 12 years in uh, Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, I'm part of the Diamond Sangha tradition, Ekenoshi's mm-hmm. tradition. And if you go into any of the Buddhist temples, they have the Hongguanji, the Shingon, even the Soto Zen temples mm. there. It's like walking into a Christian church. Oh, yeah. They have pews. They even sing. I mean, mm. sing in a Western manner. Yeah. The chants, they have hymns. I mean, it's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. But I want to segue on to the question that was just mm. asked here. The Diamond Sangha is a lay trans, uh, tradition. We don't mm. have ordained priests. We do have transmitted teachers. Mm. Would you talk for a few moments, if you don't mind, about if you see a distinction, an automatic distinction between teacher and priest, and specifically in the San Francisco Zen Center lineage of yeah. this year apart, are all priests expected to be teachers? Mm. I think there's an uns- kind of an unspoken idea that a priest is someone that has the trajectory of becoming a leader or a teacher in some way. There's this idea of being kind of a custodian of the tradition, and part of that being a custodian of the tradition is, is conveying dharma, you know? Uh, some, te- some priests never really function like that, you know? Um, some priests put on their robes once a year, you know? Uh, um, it's an, you know, someone asked me in practice discussion the other day, how did I decide to become a priest? I'm like, what do you mean decide? <laughs> it chose me. You know, I saw a priest and I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's what family I'm from. I do that, you know? Um, and, uh, and I think the big, the big difference is just... Um, Someone said once, uh, why do people become priests? And uh, Fu Schrader said, well, some of us need more help. (laughs) Uh, I actually couldn't do this without the outfit. I know that sounds ridiculous. But I, 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 I need nourishment from the history. I need nourishment from the lineage. I need nourishment from the archetype to kind of help carry me through, give me a vessel to move through this practice in. Um, and that might change. That's why a lot of people are priests for a while and they do their, like, like Bernie Glassman. It was like really, really important to him. And then it's like, all right, that's not important to me anymore. It was something that they did while they were training and then they kind of relinquish it a little bit, you know? Because um, uh, it's actually kind of a hard, it's actually kind of a hard life. I don't recommend it. Um, and I can't help it, you know? Um, but for me, it's a lot about um, kind of the tantric, shamanistic aspect of doing ceremonies. I mean, that's, I mean, what's the difference between a priest and a layperson? Ceremonies. Really, that's it. I mean, 
formality. formality and the particularities of the tradition. You know? Because um, you know, when I when I was at when I was at Pololo, uh, I saw you know what we would never do, but lay people being doshi and offering incense and doing all the ceremonies and stuff, and they do it. But there's a way that we do it because it's so important to us, and that we're trained in the way our feet move and stuff like that. That really kind of it's like tea ceremony, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, it's 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 how we party. <laughs> could, could I ask a quick follow-up on that? Yeah. Uh, the word teacher can be a little bit misleading because mm. you're obviously a teacher in a generic sense. You're teaching us right now. In in the San Francisco Zen Center tradition, yeah. do you have what we in the Diamond Sangha would call a Shokan teacher relationship where you have a particular student teacher who have taken vows with each other and that's the guiding teacher for that student? Yeah, but it's not, but it's not a... Um that doesn't exist, that relationship doesn't exist kind of in like a vacuum. Like when I was, this is interesting, because I was thinking about it the other day. So Kosher's been my teacher for 13 years, since I was 21 years old. In, in a formal sense? Yeah, yeah, more or less. I mean, we don't do the Shoken ceremony, but you do Jukai, right. and, and that kind of like, you know, bonds you, both of your names are on the back of the Rakasu, you know. Um, and uh, I would say that I've actually lived in the same place as him, maybe cumulatively three years. I think most, a lot of people in this room have had Dokusan with Kosha more than I have. And I've been a student for 13 years. Um, so, and I, when he was at Tassaharam, when I was at City Center, Michael Wanger was my teacher. Like I had different, you know, teachers. So it's not, it's because, because you're not doing any con curriculum, it's there's you have it's a little bit more open ended than receiving the marrow from one person specifically, but there is a one teacher that's guiding you in a certain way, and then you could do, you know, your teacher could be in San Francisco, and you're doing practice periods at Tassajara with with different abbots and cycling through. So they're your teacher for those three months, you know. But then you have this like root teacher, you know. So it's a little bit more nebulous than like kind of a shokan one on one. I'm receiving the marrow from this one person. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to comment. It seemed like when you were talking about priests are um, fuck ups too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, um, you know, the sort of the Christian word for that is wounded healer. Mm-hmm. And um, my understanding of that way of thinking is that most people with that kind of priestly authority or pastoral authority or whatever are recognized that they're wounded healers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we all need the container of some kind of structure, some yeah. kind of container that creates the safety yeah. so that your wounds don't bleed into Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the task and I think that's what we're discovering as as, as we're as we're moving through finding out finding out about each other, what's working and what's not working. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to, to I'm sorry if there's anything I'm missing, you know, or if there's anything I'm neglecting, or if there's any way I'm, I'm, I'm presenting this in kind of a strange way. Is like, yeah, you know, and it's fine. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to bypass the kind of diligence that that we should cultivate, you know, and like the developing of like support systems and policies and things like that. But I'm sorry. Oh, you, Glenn, you want to say something for a minute? Sorry, let's do Glenn. I was wondering why you were avoiding. <laughs> <laughs> some of your comments. I think that uh, I understand your, um, I think now in your position this morning, I'm probably not going to draw a line in the sand in any way myself, mm-hmm. you know, making mm-hmm. an official kind of like what you say yeah. means more than what I say, okay? Mm-hmm. But um, I think that uh, it's very important that there, that there be a clear understanding mm-hmm. of what the boundaries are. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, when you come into a situation uh, mm-hmm. like a sangha, uh, and part of that I think is that the uh, the, the teacher-student relationship is much, 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 much more complex 
uh, than uh, we're even aware of. There are all kinds of dynamics that are involved, uh, partly due to the, the authority of the teacher, the yeah. uh, tendency to idealize the teacher, uh, just the fact that the teacher is special and we all yeah. want to be special, yeah. uh, and uh, the teacher's own vulnerability, I think, to uh, people who tend to idealize them and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but also just in terms of a community, uh, the kind of dynamics that occur in a community yeah. uh, is, is very important, I think, in terms of the relationship and the impact of that on the whole community. So my basic point is, and there's a, a book that I found very helpful, Sex and the Spiritual Teacher, yeah. I don't know if you've read that or not. Most people have it. I found it very helpful. Uh, you know, it really gives you an idea of all the complexity that's there. Mm. Uh, so, given all of that complexity uh, mm. and the contingency mm. there, I think it is very helpful to have clear boundaries. Yeah. You know, yeah. whatever they are, people need to know yeah. what they're getting into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, that's mm. worth. Yeah. yeah. I do think the clarity. I like what you say about the contingency and that sort of thing. I think that's true. Mm. At the same time, there needs to be. Clarity. Yeah. There are, yeah. you know, we have boundaries in families, we have boundaries, uh, there's a boundary between parents and children, yeah. obviously, yeah. in terms of, you know, not going across yeah. generational boundaries and that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's it's not that boundaries don't have a place. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. again, clarity, mm -hmm. I think, is uh, is important. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, I think, work that we need to do as a Sangha, mm -hmm. in terms of coming to some kind of understanding, or really, about mm -hmm. what you know, those boundaries actually yeah, are. Yeah. And one, one feeling I do have, I know I, I wouldn't draw a line in the sand, but one feeling that I had is that uh, the closer I felt to someone, the less of a student they would be, in a way. Um, um, especially if it felt romantic at all. That would, that would, um, that would, that changes the dynamic at all. I can't, I can't give you life advice if I'm in love with you. You know? <laughs> it's, it's absurd, actually. Um, so that's one thing that I do feel strongly about. You know, um, because it's uh, there's too much of an opportunity for um, uh, the two people to kind of intoxicate each other, and and for the teacher to um, um, have a kind of unfair amount of control over someone that they actually are now ne needing something from a little bit. You know, so it's important that your teacher doesn't need a thing from you, and I think that's one thing that's that's crucial. You know, you can get along great, you can enjoy, your, you, you can be nourished by the relationship, but if you ever feel like you've got to do something for your teacher, or that if you, could, um, if you could disappear tomorrow and it'd be like a real big problem for them, then, that, then you're starting to move away from, from what I think is a, is a healthy relationship. Yeah. Can I just yeah. say one more thing, uh, and I think Robert hit this too. I think, you know, being fucked up is fine. We're mm -hmm. all fucked up. Yeah. But I think it's I love that I have everybody cussing at <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more important that the teacher be mindful. Yeah, yeah. It's very important that the teacher yeah. be mindful of their mm. fucked upness. Yeah. And I think that that's uh, an element that's uh, missing, yeah. maybe, in the training mm -hmm. uh, for, for priests and teachers. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, well, I don't need to make comparisons between priests and light people. Mm. But you're certainly no less fucked up than we are. And mm. we definitely, the mindfulness, though, is more important for mm. you guys yeah. uh, than it is for us. Yeah. We can come to you all fucked up and have our families all together, yeah, yeah. but that means we kind of need you yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to know what's going on in your own head. So yeah, that, yeah. And mm. I think the thing about being special and being in love, mm. for example, I think a priest can be in love with the student and not acknowledge it to him or herself. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, and that gets very problematic. Yeah, and and really kind of rely on that connection because it's the only social connection. Because where else do you get nourishment? Right. You know, it's like so you have someone to go to. I don't. I don't really have anyone to go to. Right. So I could start. So I could see over time, and then you're all I see, and then it's like you're actually my life. You know. So that's a problem. So that's a problem. I want. I wanted to go here. Let's. Yeah. Mm. And uh, there's there's this person here, 
and then under them, and under them, and mm -hmm. under them. And you all go back to the Buddha for wisdom and understanding of how to mm -hmm. be what we're supposed to be in, in mm -hmm. the system. But um, the other idea was um, when someone is uh, feels wounded mm -hmm. by um, by the system, mm -hmm. um, the uh, my my natural reaction is to uh, is to draw back. Mm -hmm. I'm not a violent person. I don't want to hit yeah. that. But yeah. I want to react. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just like uh, after the shooting in Orlando, I felt so helpless. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a letter to my senator mm -hmm. in in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. I wrote a letter to my representative. I said, please do something about gun control. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was who's ever going to read it? Who's mm -hmm. ever going to care? Mm -hmm. But I felt like I was I was taking some action. Yeah. I was, you know, I don't know that it will make any difference. To but it made a difference to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, on the same hand, around this place, I feel like stuff has happened that that was uh, that wounded me, mm -hmm. it made me feel uh, bad, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not bad towards the sangha, mm -hmm. but you know, and not certainly towards the Buddha, but about about the system mm -hmm. and, and how things are run, and the reaction. Uh, to my reaction, mm -hmm. where I just feel like I better, I better make some distance here. Yeah, I want to feel safe. Yeah, and, and um, so I, I withdrew from a lot of activities mm -hmm. that that I was traditionally doing. Mm -hmm. And you know, it made me sad, but it seemed like you know it was time. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not drawing a line, a line in the sand, but I'm, I'm taking a, a step or two back. Yeah, and I don't think I'm the only one. Yeah. Not that it's right or wrong, but it's mm -hmm. just the way, the way it is for me. Yeah. What do you feel like you need? What do I feel like I need? Yeah. I need some space. Okay. I need to, uh, you know, just... Yeah. I don't mind being alone. Mm -hmm. yeah. I like being with the Sangha. I'm not mm -hmm. going to, you know, turn my back on the people here. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to everything, uh, the duties and things like that, I'm just going to step back. Yeah. And just give myself some time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Michelle. Can you talk about the next step? So the, the teacher uh, should well, the teacher doesn't need anything from the students. So then we have, a, in our situation, then we have teachers who, who don't have a set of peers like they do at, in San Francisco or at Tal Sahara. Yeah. Um, and, so they, and this is their community, but they can't receive yeah. anything from yeah. the community in a way for support. What does it look like? What, mm. what would be a healthy yeah. thing for our sangha? How do we support our priests so yeah. that they have the support that they need, but we create yeah. enough boundaries that there's safety in the yeah, sangha? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you talk a bit? Yeah, yeah. And we're going over, but I feel like this is a little bit pertinent. If you need to go anywhere, I mean, it's 11.09. Um, but... Uh, you know, one of the when I commiserate with my peers, uh, one of the feelings that we have um, in kind of urban centers like this is that we, uh, where you're the only one, it kind of feels like you're in an aquarium. You know, and people are kind of like looking at your life as like that's interesting. You know, but there's not much of a um, yeah, and then and then with uh, certain expectations that actually might not have anything to do with what you have to offer. Um, Um, and and then one thing that I think is important about this. Sorry, this is it might be a little bit tangential, but to me, it all it's all intersectional. Um, this is a contemplative tradition, more like first and foremost, it's it's a meditation tradition. Um, so the kinds of leadership and the kinds of teachers that you're going to get are contemplative types, you know. So like in uh, Catholicism, your monastics and your priests are have a very different lifestyle, very different training, and very different function. But here we kind of mesh them all together. So you get someone that wanted to live in the woods all their life, and all of a sudden they're kind of like the host for Coffee Clatch, you know? Um, so, uh, um, and teaching people that are like actually not having the consistent yogic kind of engagement that people were having in the monastery, you know? So there's a little bit of like, you're coming to practice discussion, but you sit once a week. I don't really know. I mean, like... You know, there's a little bit of a, of a lack of a juiciness there as far as engagement goes. Um, 
And um, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I had to leave New Orleans. You know, it was unsustainable for me. Um, I, had, I, I was alone. I was very alone. You know, um, and it was not nourishing. And then there's this expectation that you're there all the time. I think the hugest thing that can be done, the biggest gesture that can be done, that's doable. I mean, there's an ideal that like, so yesterday I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? I need something to engage with that is not that is outside of this place so that I can have friends so that I could be out, out of the house and stuff. I'm like maybe I'll join the rowing club or something like that. You know, you need something that you're into. Um, in New Orleans, my partner at the time, my former partner Michaela, she was really she had her job. She works in a sort of justice and she played soccer like 3 times a week. And that was nourishing for her. She had her own friendships and stuff. You know, um, now, if you're a contemplative, you might be an introvert. It might be really hard to, to, to develop that kind of social life outside of this system, outside of the sangha. Um, but one thing that I think could be really helpful is, you know, like the way the Tibetans do it, they don't really, have, they don't really take up residency too long. They're kind of cycling through places all the time, you know. Um, uh, so I think it would be helpful, if I was here, what I would want, I mean, I am here, but I mean, if I was here for a long term, um, what I would want would be like four months on, one month, one month on retreat, or four months on and one month at like a larger, kind of more, more robust community with a robust schedule, you know, where I get to be, where I don't have to be a teacher, and I get to just kind of sit from the Holy Dipper, because I need to be rejuvenated, because all this stuff's cumulative, and then it goes away. You can dry up. Your dharma power can dry up if you don't if you don't sustain it, you know. Um, so I think it would be really important for whatever teacher is here to um, to have it be built in that they get to go do what they need to do so that they keep being what you need. Because if I stayed here, if I stayed in this room upstairs uh, for four years. Um, and it was my, and, and it was understood that I'm that this is like a nine to fiver for me. Um, who who would be giving this talk in four years is is not going to have this energy, is not going to have this energy, and is not going to have this insight, not going to have this enthusiasm or optimism. It'll be gone. It might be gone by December. You know. So so yeah, that's that's important. Cause and effect is real. You know, you can idealize and say, well, they should be able to muster it. You know, they're priests and they're and and whenever you whenever you start talking, they should be able to just stop yourself right there. Be like, what is what is the situation? What how does cause and effect create the conditions that we need? You know, and how to use and ride cause and effect to create the best situation. You know, so that's the best idea that I could come up with. Now it depends on the teachers. You know, um, some people are social. You know. Some people figure it out. You know, I researched, actually, my job yesterday was researching what the hell I was going to do so that I could feel um, engaged with something. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah. There's a song, there's two songs where I said, we kick our teacher out for one month a year, mm. send him away. Yeah. Kick, good kick him out. Yeah. They're gone. And, the, and I think what's happening right now is kind of like a cumulative. <laughs> of ignoring that for a long time and then it has uh, no. um, I think that one of the reasons I came here was because um, I, the contemplative part of it uh, mm. was important to me and I don't feel like I mean I think there are a lot of people that do things hi hey, hey. hey, everybody <laughs> um, it's really good to see some people we haven't seen <coughs> Um, that, you know, I wish I could go out to Tassajara or somewhere myself. But so, to me, I, I don't take this lightly whatsoever. I mean, I feel like it saved my life. Mm. And I, it's, it, I feel like it is my life, yet I have to go to work. So, mm. I, I want that recognized among the, a lot of people that are here, that they... They get nourished by the ceremonies. They want to participate more, mm -hmm. and they want some. They want some input, some yeah. real solid input about what happens. Yeah. And I would like to socialize with the priests. Yeah. Frankly, I'm not sure that's necessarily a bad idea. Uh -huh. Frankly, yeah. So I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. I want to support the priests 
I, and, you know, I've been a student of Kosho's for six years, and I, I was very careful about how I approached it. You know, I had my own self there with my own boundaries. Mm. How do we teach people how to be a student? Mm -hmm. I think is important. Mm. Um, and, you know, just this conversation is going to help me in the future. You know, you can, you can say, how do we define this relationship? You mm. can get down to brass tacks, I think, mm. with a teacher. Mm. Um, and because it's, like you say, whose practice is it? It's, it's each of our practices. Mm. Our practice is here with our own self. Um, and there is that connection because there's connection. Yeah. It, whether you think there is or not, there's connection. There's yeah. connection with all of us here. Yeah. Um, and then some people care more about the Zen Center as a center, as an organization, and want to be part of that administrative stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's going to happen too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love this place. Yeah. I love the people in it. Mm -hmm. This is where I can bring the love that mm -hmm. I want to have in my mm -hmm. life, bring it here. Mm -hmm. I want that from you mm -hmm. and the other people here. Because otherwise, it's not worth it to me. Mm -hmm. I want the weirdness. I want the fucked upness. <laughs> I want all that. Mm -hmm. And I want the ideal, mm -hmm. you know, the whole package. Mm -hmm. um, if I weren't a really uh, damaged human being, I probably wouldn't be here. And mm -hmm. it doesn't bother me that other people are damaged, even the teachers, mm -hmm. because like you, I don't, I, someone who's perfect is not inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. It's the people who are damaged to recover and go through this process that we're all going through that mm -hmm. uh, I think that can be really nourishing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So Isn't she great? <laughs> yeah. I just have a, something you said about the priest and the role of the priest that we seem to put them in for long periods of time, mm -hmm. uh, and there's no break. And mm -hmm. when they and we put them on, we ask so much. Literally on a pedestal. Of the <laughs> to, to be to. To, to live within a certain certain ethical rule. Mm -hmm. And when they do make these mistakes, mm -hmm. we punish them so severely. Mm -hmm. We forget our loving kindness, mm -hmm. which we need to go back to. And through that, we, in, we cause an entire sangha to suffer. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And we, there's something wrong with that system mm -hmm. where we need to make the priest yeah. so, so, in, in such a small little area that he can work, yeah. or she can work. Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of that comes from uh, caring so much and wanting to take, take care of it so much that you really want things to be safe, you know? So there's a lot of kind of preemptive kind of movements towards safety and wholesomeness that um, are based on kind of epitomized understandings of what's happening. But um, epitomize understandings that actually cut out nuances and details. Uh, everything that everybody did, I could thoroughly relate to. And when I got here and I got to talk to you know the priests and the board, and I'm like, everyone's right. How is that so? You know, there's conflict, there's disagreement, and I agree with everybody here. Everybody's right. It's like all positions are understandable. You know, so I think just going through this process, going through this process, we this is the education of this summer. You know. And uh, and we're re and we're and we're steering, you know, we're recalibrating our compasses the whole time. It's like, uh, okay, that didn't work, you know. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Would Joel raise his hand first? Yeah, I just I just wanted to say that it, it seems to me like when there are really strong disagreements, um, and and maybe you know everyone involved in the whole process is mm. is approaching things from this epitomized standpoint. Yeah. It seems to me that one of the most important things about coexisting together in this practice is um, trying to cultivate the ability to set aside the need to resolve all differences in perspective, mm -hmm. right? 
Yeah. And say like it, and, I, and I'm not being glib in terms of the like mm. we'll, we'll agree to disagree and then yeah. we'll just push this to the side. I don't mean that, right? Yeah. I just mean that. Yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's not the most important thing for mm. us to see eye to eye. Yeah, yeah. There's a sketch in Mr. Show, the HBO show from the '90s, where there's like these guys planning a terrorist attack. Um, and they're like, all right, we're going to put a bomb in the van and like, well, and then they're like, but then they're like, it's like a council and they're all raising their hand and they're all chiming in and they're saying, well, actually that's not, that's not a good day for me. And it's like, is it going to be loud? And then they're like compromising until everybody reached an agreement. And then, um, the end result was that there was a van nowhere near anyone in the middle of the desert with a stereo in it playing Caribbean queen by Billy Ocean (laughs) instead of a bomb. And that was because the, they caught, so they, they in, in the spirit of compromising so that everybody was placated, everybody's, you know, concern was placated, they actually didn't do the thing that they set out to do. And I thought that, that was kind of a good, you know, like committee, you know, and, I, and you think of that, and one thing Stephen Bachelor, or John Peacock, no, Richard Gombrich, sorry, one thing Richard Gombrich says is that you know when there's a joke in the sutras, you know that that's an authentic line because the committees can't make jokes. No? Okay. All right, is everybody kind of exhausted? Mm-hmm. All right, thank you so much. Sorry, sorry for going over, and thank you for letting me go over. Um, uh, practice, um, practice can be really nourishing. Um, stillness can be really, really nourishing. And I know a lot of, uh, you know, one of the things when uh, we have difficulties running a center, it's like, it's really... Um, it's a room full of cushions, you know? It's really just a room full of cushions. Um, and a room full of cushions where you get to uh, uh, sit still and be intimate with what's inside and accept what's inside, good or bad, you know? So uh, someone asked me the other day uh, how I could be um, supported, you know, because I'm kind of absorbing the duties of a couple of folks right now and how I could be supported. And uh, I would, I feel like, uh, uh, show up. I would love it if people came. And I would love it if people did, uh, wanted to learn Doan jobs. Even if there's not a slot for you, come to the training and learn how to lead chanting. And then everybody will know, you know. Um, um, sign up for practice discussion. I have a sign-up sheet right there. You can sign up with me. You can sign up with Pat or you can sign up with Glenn. I guess you would... Talk to them individually. You're, you're doing PD, right? Is that true for both of you? Yeah. And uh, we can absorb any, if you had another teacher, we'll, you know, you can see what, and, and practice discussion, um, well, yeah. Right now, you can come as much as you like. But if you were going, there were some people that had uh, three practice leaders at once, and they'd go to each one each week. <laughs> and it's like, maybe get a therapist. <laughs> you know? I've done three-month retreats without going to Dokusan. I mean, it's your practice, you know. Don't don't take the shade of a big tree, you know. Try to try to try to you know. So ask for help, ask for support when you need it, but but don't go bananas, you know, because otherwise you're disempowering yourself. You know, and that makes sense. Okay. All right. So yeah, and if you and if you can't come all the time, if you are, you know, I said that kind of naughty thing, like, oh, people are coming sitting once a week, but but engage, engage with reality all the time, you know, and not conceptualizing it, but not not rotating your awareness around some kind of idea, some kind of photocopy of a snapshot of reality, but like engage with your senses and receive the nourishment and pleasure from that, twenty four seven. Feel the ground beneath your feet. Lift the crown of your head to the ceiling. Relax all of your internal organs and muscles. All the time. And it becomes its own reward. You know? Um, and that'll, that'll, that stabilizes you for everything. You know? It's not confined to this room. It's not confined to a cushion. It's not confined to any formality. You know? It's just attention. The beginning and end of it is attention. And, and a very kind of naked attention that just like letting the world show you what it is, you know, without any kind of agenda, without carrying the self forward. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. May our
intention, he prayed a stand.